invite you to open your Bible this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Actually, we'll first look at, um, begin in chapter 8, just a few verses. But our text this morning will be chapter 9, verse 6, through the end of the chapter, 6 through 15. We're in the middle of, uh, or in between series. Uh, we just finished the book of Leviticus. And I thought it would be an appropriate time as we come to the end of the year. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good time to be thinking about what is God's will for us financially as we look back over this past year, um, as we look forward to a new year, uh, as we think of how God has blessed us, uh, as we think about what God has called us to, the, um, the charge to uh, abound in every good work. I'm very excited about uh, this message because it's so countercultural. And it is so, um, it's so full of blessings for the church. And so let's give our attention to God's Word, 2 Corinthians. Let's first read uh, verse, chapter 8, and we'll read the first seven verses. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace." But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And so Paul's going to be writing about uh, how they might excel in this act of grace. And this morning we'll be looking at the um, chapter 9, verse 6 through 15, under the convictions of a cheerful giver. How do you make a cheerful giver? Well, let's begin at verse 6 of chapter 9. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's ask his blessing. Oh, Lord our God, this is a word that uh, you mean for us to hear today. I thank you for it. I thank you that your spirit takes great joy in ministering this word to our hearts that we might be transformed by it as those who follow Jesus Christ and confess the gospel of Christ. And so, Lord, do what only you can do today um, as you, by your spirit, 
Take this word and speak it with power. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, when you become a Christian, you begin a journey of discipleship, a journey of learning who Jesus is and a journey of learning uh, how to think and live as a new person, a new creation, how to think and live in this world as someone who belongs to Jesus Christ. That's the path of discipleship. It's called, we also call it sanctification. As Jesus, by his spirit and through his word, molds us to think the way he thinks, to see things as he sees things. And so we begin to think differently about our identity, who we are. We think differently about our security and our comfort and, and our work and our entertainment and our relationships and our death. We think differently about everything. You see, every aspect of our life is impacted by Jesus Christ, and Jesus addresses every aspect of our life, even our money. Last uh, week, we concluded our series in the book of Leviticus as we studied the, uh, the uh, concept of vows and what it means to live a life that is dedicated to God. And I was struck by that uh, text of how throughout Scripture, joyful giving of gifts to God in acts of adoration and worship is a normal part of a believer's life. That um, the pain of vows and giving of alms Supporting the priests and helping the poor, that, is, that was just um, basic Christianity and normal Christianity. And one of the, the um, most clear signs of authentic spiritual health, Al Martin um, says this, If we take the teaching of our Lord and his apostles at face value, we cannot escape the conclusion that the way in which we regard and handle our money is one of the most accurate revealers of our true spiritual condition. I think that's absolutely true. Uh, there are several compelling reasons why we need to be trained to think biblically about money. I'll give you very quickly three. These are not my, main, my three points, but uh, worship, wealth, and worldliness are three reasons why we need to be trained in how to think about money. Worship, God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our financial worship as you see throughout Scripture. Wealth, we are wealthy people. More than anywhere else in the world at any time in the history of the world, God has blessed us, and with those blessings come great opportunities and great responsibility. To whom much is given, much will be required. And worldliness. I love David Wells' uh, definition of worldliness, that worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and unrighteousness look strange. We are saturated with financial worldliness. The world makes greed, materialism, gross uh, consumerism, covetousness, that all seems normal in our world. Uh, we're not surprised or offended at the, the uh, gluttony of, uh, that we see happening this time of year, Black Friday and all that, where people are just gorging themselves on material things. That seems very normal to us. No one's offended by it. But worldliness not only makes wickedness or unrighteousness seem normal, it makes righteousness seem weird. And so we live in a culture where materialism and consumerism is very normal. Glad, sacrificial generosity is strange. It's not normal. 
And yet, we're going to find that's exactly what pleases the Lord. Well, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, Paul is writing a mini-theology uh, as, of, of financial godliness as he's uh, calling the Gentile churches to participate in an offering to help the, the Jerusalem church, which has come upon hard times. Um, and so in, this, in these chapters, he's training new believers brought out of a Gentile pagan culture what it means to participate in God's kingdom and how to participate in God's economy. And he begins the report, as we read in chapter 8, with this, with this wonderful news about the grace of God that had been poured out on the Macedonian believers who, in spite of their, uh, their severe affliction and poverty, out of the abundance of their joy in Jesus Christ, it had produced this wealth of generosity as they freely, willingly, voluntarily gave a gift. And that is really, as, uh, as Paul explains what happened to the Macedonians, that's the genius of Christian giving. Christian giving is giving that flows willingly, freely, happily from a heart that's been transformed by the truth of the gospel and the joy of knowing Jesus Christ, the delight of sharing in the mission of Christ. That's Christian giving. Well, Paul is now, uh, through chapters 8 and 9, talking about how this gift should be arranged and how it should be prepared. He's very careful, if you read through, to not uh, compel them. He wants this to be voluntary. So he says in chapter 9, verse 5, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift not as an exaction. And you'll find that kind of language all through these two chapters. Uh, the Macedonians, right? They gave willingly on their, own, on their own accord. Nobody twisted their arm. You see, the, the purpose of, of giving, and this gift in, in chapters 8 and 9, the purpose of the gift was to, to magnify the glory of God. That God is able to engage this world where there is an unbelievable rift between Jews and Gentiles and, and God is able to, to, to speak to Gentiles and to transform Gentiles' heart in such a way that having come to know Jesus Christ and the joy of the gospel, they freely give their resources even in the midst of great poverty to help Jews, Jewish Christians. And that would redound to the glory of God because, because that is humanly impossible. And yet, it's exactly what God does. And so, as uh, Paul's writing here in, in our uh, text, uh, he is helping us and helping these Christians understand how to be joyful, cheerful givers, willingly participating in this ministry, in this, in this offering. The, uh, the central point, I think, of the text, God loves a cheerful giver. We all know that's true. We've heard it a hundred times. We'll agree with it. The problem is, how do you become a cheerful giver? Because none of us are cheerful givers by nature. Uh, we're, we're concerned about giving things away. We want to evaluate the worthiness of the person that we, maybe we're giving it to or, or the cause that we're giving it to, and that's not inappropriate. It just, giving, um, well, just ask yourself, do you take more joy in uh, giving money away to causes or receiving things or buying things. I, I like to buy stuff. Amazon, I mean, I was, I love Amazon. 
you just hit the link, you know, I love reading the reviews and, you know, good stewardship, right? You just you make sure you get the best product for the best, best dollar and, and then you hit the button and two days later, voila, there it is. It's awesome. Giving does not feel the same way to most of us and not by nature. So, so this morning we have some things to learn. How do we grow? How do, how do, we, how do we grow in, in Christ-likeness so that giving feels like something to celebrate? Three points. First, the principle of sowing. Secondly, the importance of motive. And third, the promise of provision. The principle of sowing. Verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Uh, the genius of that little saying is that it is... Um, it's absolutely true, and it's not hard to understand. It's not rocket science. Uh, it, and, it, and it provides us with an easily accessible word picture. So if you think about two farmers, farmer A and farmer B, and we can imagine both men are going out to sow their crops. In those days, you don't go out with tractors and planters. You go out with a bag of seed, and you start casting the seed. And so you can imagine farmer A... Um, as men do, puts the, uh, the, you know, the sag be along in the side here or here if you're right-handed. And so you reach into the bag and you take a handful of seed and you cast it. And you just walk through your field casting the seed. And some lands on the rocky places and some lands maybe on the path. But, but uh, most of it's landing on, on the soil. And you're just throwing that seed as, as, uh, as widely and promiscuously and generously as you can until the bag is empty. That's how, that's how, you, that's how you sow a field. Well, now imagine another man who um, has the very same, um, he's got a field, he's got the bag of seeds, and he walks around, and he, he, he's carefully inspecting the ground, and every once in a while he'll pick out a seed and drop it there, and then he walks a little further and grab another seed, and he'll drop it right there. Um, and you'll notice as he's, as he's doing it, this man has fallen in love with his seeds. He loves these seeds, and he winces every time he has to... Let one go every time he gives one away. Well, what's, what's going on? What's the difference between these two men? Well, um, the one man, you see, the man who's, who's so careful, in fact, he, he, he just empties out maybe a quarter of the bag, and then he takes the rest of it home with him. And you recognize this, this man doesn't understand the purpose of seed. Seed um, is meant to be sown. It, it's, it's what it's made for, and it can't do its work unless it's sown. And, and, he, and he's harming himself because he's not going to get a harvest. He'll get a little stalk here or there, but, but nothing like what he could have gotten. But see, the first man who went out, he understands completely the nature of seed. And he understands the more that he sows, the more, the more comes back. He understands that that's what seed is for, and he throws it in the confident, joyful conviction that as he sows bountifully, he's going to reap bountifully. It's a good day. I remember planting on the farm. It was, you take hundreds and hundreds of dollars of seed corn, and you put it in the planter, and then you bury it, and it's all gone, and there's nothing to show for it, just the same brown field you started with. And yet you'd go home and it, that was a good day and you pray for rain. But you knew that every one of those seeds, if the, if the Lord blessed it, would grow and produce maybe one or at least or, or, or two ears of corn and there'd be hundreds of seeds. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. 
You see, one of the keys to becoming a cheerful giver is to gain a biblical understanding of our wealth. Money is seed. It's seed. Its greatest potential for blessing is by sowing it, not by storing it. So as long as we think of our money and possessions as money and possessions rather than seeds, we're going to struggle to let them go, whether that's sharing your, your, you know, your possessions or giving your money away. And you'll struggle to let it go because giving will feel like a personal loss. I mean, after all, there are other things you could do with that money. Legitimate things. You could pay down debt. You could fix the car. You could pay for tuition. You could put aside some for a rainy day in the future. There's always other legitimate uh, needs. Things that um, you can look and see, these things need to be done. If you, give your stu- if you, if you share your stuff, the chances you're going to lose it or, or they're going to bang it up somehow. And so you're going to have the losses in your mind. And if that's what you find happening in your own heart, if that's the battle you're fighting, Paul would say you've misunderstood the nature of money and possessions. They're seeds. The greatest potential comes from sowing it. So Calvin says this, whenever fleshly reason would hold us back from doing good for fear of loss, we should immediately oppose it with this shield, this shield of truth. The Lord declares that we are sowing. The Lord says we're sowing. And that perspective, you see, is key to becoming a happy giver. If you feel like you're losing, I don't care how, uh, what you try to do in your, in your mind, what mental games you try to play, if, you, if you're convinced that, that your giving is lost, you are not going to find joy in it. But if you're convinced that giving is sowing, and that those who sow abundantly reap abundantly, well, that's going to change everything. See, the, the, um, the conviction that you're sowing when you give, that produces joy, and joy is essential for worship, and Paul's going to talk about then our motive. Verse 7. He says, each one must give as he has made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, a, a happy giver, a joyful giver. In other words, God does not desire reluctant gifts. If it's begrudgingly given, I think the Lord would say, why don't you just hold on to that? There's no, there's no honor to God in it. I don't know if you've ever received a begrudging gift. You know, here, I guess you can have this. Thanks. <clears throat> there's no joy in it. They're just doing a duty. They're not doing anything to honor you in it. Well, that's exactly how it is with the Lord. Remember in the Old Testament, vows were not commanded. And it was precisely the voluntary nature of the vow that made it so honoring and pleasing to the Lord that, that someone, simply because God was good and God was gracious and God had blessed them or, God, um, they, or they believed that God um, was going to provide for them, simply in response to the reality of God, a man would, would make a vow and pay his vow. As an act of thanksgiving, an act of adoration, an act of worship. That's what made it so honoring to the Lord. It wasn't a duty in that sense. It, 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 was, it was motivated by joy in God. 
Well, Paul encourages the Corinthian believers to do the same. Give as you've determined in your mind, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. I'm not here to, Paul says, you know, to exercise my apostolic authority and twist your arm. That wouldn't honor the Lord. The, the whole point would be lost. The point is, is a gift that magnifies and glorifies God. And that can only happen when it is cheerfully given. God loves those who are happy to part with their resources, who, are, who delight to share their things and to, and to give their, their, their money and uh, resources because they love the Lord and in an expression of gratitude and, and, and mercy for others. They, they love to do it. God loves those who find joy in giving. And, and that should matter to us. That, that should... That, that should, it should matter that, that God is looking for that kind of heart. It's a big deal to God. The attitude of our heart when we give is vastly more important to God than the amount. He, he, he's not concerned about resources. God can make right, rocks into dollars. He, he, he has the resources. What he's after is, is the heart. So back to the question, how do we get that? How do we become cheerful, joyful, joyful givers? Well, Paul uh, points out that we are, one of the ways that we get it is to recognize we're pleasing the Lord and we're benefiting ourselves. We're benefiting ourselves. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He's appealing to your self-interest. Do you want to reap bountifully? Then sow bountifully. Self-interest. Now, there's some concern about that. People think that uh, we shouldn't do things for God uh, out of self-interest. Well, listen to what uh, Charles Hodge says. Um, Presbyterian theologian of the past. He says, it is hope, helpful to notice the difference between uh, divine wisdom and the wisdom of men. Human wisdom says it is wrong when giving to appeal to any selfish motive. The wisdom of God, however, tells all who deny themselves that they thereby most effectually promote their own interests. We may thence learn that it is right to present men the divinely ordained consequences of their actions as motives to control their conduct. It is right to tell men that obedience to God, devotion to His glory, and the good of others will effectually promote their own welfare. God has not separated His glory in our self-interest. He's bound them together. That As we seek our interest, our blessing in God, God's glorified. As we seek our blessing in, in, in honoring God and using our life for things that, that glorify God. So Jesus says the same thing. Um, this idea of sowing and reaping bountifully. Jesus says, Luke 6, give and it will be given to you. Give, right? And it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. A very, a very basic principle. I just want you to imagine that uh, somehow by divine inspiration, I think that's, that's the only way it would be legal, but you found out that uh, some stock was going to just go through the roof this week, right? No insider trading. Um, you had a dream, and, and you were convinced. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to uh, go tenfold this week, all right? Um, every dollar you invested would, by the end of the week, return ten more. And you can do the math. How much would you like to invest in that stock? Well, I think most of us would say all of it, 
right? Sell the car. Um, wouldn't you be scrounging around for, for dollars to invest in something that's going to return that kind of uh, reward? Wouldn't you tell your friends and family about it? You'd want them at least to participate in it, to share the, the, the wealth with you. Um, it's just, you see, this basic principle, you know that every dollar invested is going to bear abundant fruit. And that's exactly how God wants you to think about giving. It's exactly how he wants you to think about it. To the glory of his grace, he assures us that if we sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. That's from the mouth of God. And by his grace, he assures us that all the resources we need to invest generously, he will give. Look at verses 8 through, 10, through 11 as we look at the promise of provision. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. That is, that is such an incredible, profound nugget of gospel biblical truth. God is able and willing to make all grace abound to us. And by grace, Paul means both the grace of a gospel-transformed heart and the grace of resources, be it time, money, or possessions, in order that we might abound in good work, in the harvest of righteousness. So um, Jesus, according to the Apostle Paul, gave his life so that we might be blessed in every way in Jesus in terms of... so. Um, 2 Corinthians 8 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ so that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul wants you to think of yourself as, if you're a Christian, as someone who has every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ, the full forgiveness of all your sin, you are, uh, your sin is atoned, it's washed away, it's gone. You are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are named as a son and a daughter of the Most High God. You are an heir of everlasting life. Sin has no power over you. Life is victorious in you. The Holy Spirit has been given to you as a seal, assuring everything that is to come. You cannot be lost. So how rich are you? You're richer than the angels. They're not going to be heirs with Jesus Christ in glory. We are vastly rich in, in every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ, but that is not the only thing Paul's talking about here. Paul is also saying that um, the, the, the grace, well, let me, I'm going to back up just quick a minute. So Paul's talking about a grace that gives us every spiritual blessing, and one of the spiritual blessings, right, the Macedonians... One of the graces is the grace of a glad, eager, generous spirit, generous heart. This is the difference between, you know, the gospel and health wealth teaching, right? Joel Osteen will tell you that God is able to give you the grace so that you can abound in wealth, period, full stop. Paul says God makes grace abound to you so that you might abound in love and that you might abound in generosity, 
That you might abound in, in the way that you live your life and sow your seed so there would be a harvest of righteousness. So, so God is able to make us abound with joy in using our resources to bless others and further the cause of Christ in the world. To live lives financially that glorify God. But Paul's also saying it's not just the grace of this new transformed heart. It's the grace of material blessings. God is able to multiply your seed for sowing. Multiply it your seed for sowing. God is able to give us all sufficiency in all things at all times. That is language of abundance, not scarcity. It doesn't mean, on the one hand, let's just say this quick, it doesn't mean that God uh, will necessarily make you fabulously rich materially. It's better than that. It means that God was able to make you fabulously generous that's a transformed heart, and that's a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Some, some, um, he gives the gift of financial wealth, in, 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 right? Well, he, he varies that as he will. But, but when Paul says all sufficiency, it, sufficiency for what? It's not sufficiency just to provide for our needs. It's sufficiency so that we might abound in good works. That we might abound in good works. Uh, Harris says this, divine beneficence is designed... Not to facilitate the accumulation of wealth, but to make possible all kinds of liberality. We receive in order to give, not in order to hoard. Enrichment of every kind leads to or leaves the way open for generosity of every kind. Now let me just ask you this. At the end of your life, isn't that what you'd want people to say? Wouldn't you want people to say, he was abundant in good works. She was abundant in mercy and kindness and generosity. They used their stuff to bless people. They used their resources to further the cause of Christ in every way they could, and they took delight and joy in doing it. Isn't that? Or would you rather them say, man, did they die rich? Or, wow, they knew how to pinch a penny. They were so good at hoarding. Would you, would you like, right on your gravestone. Mastered the art of hoarding. Brothers and sisters, as I get older, and I am getting older, uh, and, and you are too, uh, I'm realizing that time is a limited resource. And wasting it is more and more distasteful to me. I have one life to give to Jesus Christ. I've only got a certain number of days to serve him. And I want to use those days, that, this precious time, as well as I can to do the most I can to further the cause of Christ before I die. I think every maturing Christian feels the same way. And so every hour that I spend some way serving the Lord, serving others, honoring the Lord, every hour that I spend in that way is a joy. It's time well spent because it matters to God and it matters for eternity. And it's exactly the same with money. We all have a certain amount of money and possessions that God has ordained for us that we will have. And God's given us those possessions to provide for our needs and to care for others and to further his cause. Wasting it on passing things should become more and more distasteful to us. We should want to use this precious resource as well as we can to do the most we can to honor Him. And so every dollar that we give away to bless other people, 
Every dollar we give away to further the cause of Christ and his mission in the world should give us great joy. It is money so well spent. It matters to God. It matters for eternity. And as we sow bountifully, we will bountifully reap. And so this holiday season, as we close out 2021, I just encourage you to let this word of Christ train your thinking and and instead of thinking about what you can get, think about what you can give. Think about how you could give. We've been blessed this year. Most of you are doing better this year than, than maybe you've done in a long time financially. How are you going to use that resource? Where's it going to go? How could you bless someone with it? Some worthy cause? How could you further the cause of Christ? Just just take some time to think back. How much were you able to sow this year? I am, I am, um, I am so thankful to say Joanna and I sowed more this year than we've ever sown in the past by the grace of God. And I hope we can sow more next year. And I hope you have the same attitude. If we believe it's sowing, you see. Because it honors the Lord and He promises a great reward. How is your heart when it comes to these things? Some of you are sitting here cynically thinking he's just trying to raise money for a building. I know you are. I'm not trying to raise money for a building. If you don't want to give money to, to, to further the cause of Christ here at Harvest Church, don't give it. You don't need to give your money to any worthy cause, do you? You can be the guy just dropping a seed here and dropping a seed there and dropping a seed there. You can, you can be that guy. You just can't be that guy and expect to reap bountifully or have the, the, the joy of knowing that your giving is pleasing to the Lord your God. So I'm not here to twist arms. I'm here praying that God would give us the grace to break free from our addiction to stuff and comfort and security and that God would be, by His grace, give us a joy we've never maybe had before. Simply the joy of giving, the joy of sharing, the joy of doing something with a glad heart because we're confident it pleases the Lord and we are hungry for a great harvest. May God grant it to that end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know us. You know every dime we make. You know every place it goes. Father, I thank you for the generous love that you've shown to us in Jesus Christ that he set aside the glory of heaven to come and have absolutely nothing hanging naked on a cross so that we might become rich oh Lord I pray that that gospel would change our hearts Father I thank you for the work that you're doing as we are growing in this gift this grace of generosity I thank you Lord for those in the congregation who are models of this not because they have a lot, but because, Lord, there's a joy in giving generously. I thank you, Lord, for your promise as we look to you to bless us as a church with spiritual health and, and joy in giving. As we acknowledge it all belongs to you, we're not taking any of it with us. And as we, Lord, lay hold of the fact that our material possessions and our financial resources are seeds for sowing. 
Lord, burn that on our mind, and may we be happy farmers who, who sow the seed that you've given to us in the confidence that you are, you are able to give us all things at all times and all ways so that we might abound in good work and that there will be a great harvest. Lord, give us the joy of giving in a, in a way that we know you're pleased because we delight to do it, to live this one life that we have for your glory and to use our resources for your cause. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and respond together. All that I am, I owe to thee. Verse 4 can be a stumbling block. <clears throat> um, we love our enemies, uh, but we don't. Um, it's just the principle friendship with the world is enmity with God. Let's be friends of God and love then our enemies uh, through the power of the gospel. And let's live our life as though the truth is all that we have belongs to Him and we owe it to Him. And may the Lord give you great joy in doing it. Receive now His blessing, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God the Father 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abound with you all, that you might abound in good works. Amen.